Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Lori Joyner, President of St. Xavier University, as our guest. So why don't, let's kick things off. I'd love to learn more about your journey that really shaped you and what's led you to the presidency. So let's start with who are your mentors? Oh, so I've been really blessed to have mentors at literally every phase of my career. I started working really young when I was 14. And, you know, this question always makes me go back to that time because literally from that very first job, I've had amazing bosses and amazing mentors. But if I had to, you know, choose just a couple that have been most influential in terms of higher education, one would be an undergraduate professor at Loyola, New Orleans, who I'm still in touch with today. Um, and, you know, I was a first generation student and just created a really strong relationship with this professor in my major. And it was just so incredible to see such a strong, competent woman who eventually went on and became an administrator herself. Um, but probably the most important thing she did for me was help me to understand the power of liberal learning and how that really would prepare me for whatever came next in, in my career. So I would say Lydia Voigt, one of my undergraduate professors, and later she became a faculty colleague um, and we're still in touch today. And then the second person I think would be um, my president when I first became an academic dean. And the main reason there, um, it was Lewis Duncan at Rollins College. The main reason there is just because he gave me a ton of running room to be able to do really interesting things. And then without me even realizing it, just kept expanding my portfolio of responsibility. And honestly, I think he probably saw that I was likely to become a president well before the idea ever entered my head. Um, and so I owe him a lot in terms of preparing me for this role. Mm -hmm. Now, did you expect to be a president? Absolutely not. Um, I was a first generation college student and my dream was to become a tenured faculty member um, because of that first mentor I mentioned. Um, and I started teaching relatively young when I earned my master's degree um, from Tulane. There was an opening at Loyola next door and I was fortunate to get a call and to be able to teach a couple of years as adjunct before I went into a full-time non-tenure track position and honestly just fell in love with students and the classroom. And so completely thought my entire career would be in the classroom teaching sociology. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about being first generation. Mm -hmm. You know, what was that motivation to go to college? You know, I thought about this a lot. I'm not sure I can pinpoint one thing. I just remember, like my mom says, practically from birth, I just, I never wanted anything other than books. So I just loved books and I love to read. It's still my very favorite thing to do. Um, and so I think I'm just one of those individuals who was just sort of meant to be in school my entire life, so to speak. <laughs> Um, I, I can't really say that it was, I can pinpoint one thing other than just, I love to read and I love to learn. And even today, like I take every professional development opportunity and I 
mentor people behind me. We just went to this um, women's leadership conference yesterday together. So I just think it's part of that commitment to lifelong learning and service. So, you know, it's just deeply embedded in who I am as a human being. So I'll kind of blend that into, um, you know, what you're new, what you're doing, doing now, especially from a retention standpoint, yep. you know, your retention levels are in the high 70% range, which is really very impressive, yep. right? For an institution. And can you talk a little bit about the importance of uh, completion, you know, whether that's, you know, a, sure. a certificate or a bachelor's degree or what have you, how important is that? And, and can you tie that into to student debt and the sure. ability to pay that off when you complete your degree? Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'll just make a couple of comments about like why I think we've been so successful in this area, right? So St. Xavier is a Catholic mercy institution that at its core is deeply committed to accessibility and affordability. So we are very proud of the fact that we are the most affordable Catholic university in the state of Illinois. And since I started at St. Xavier's president in January of 17, we have been very intentional about trying to keep our tuition as flat as possible. So while other people have been going up, we've been very intentional about trying to maintain our affordability. And we've also been able to make some modest increases in financial aid. So how do you get students to complete? One, you have to be accessible and affordable. And then when they arrive on your campus, I think this notion of developing strong personal relationships with students um, in and of itself is good. But for our population, which, you know, two thirds are first generation, more than half are Pell eligible. It is super important that our faculty and staff get to know who they are, what their hopes and dreams are, and to help St. Xavier deliver value. So uh, an education, curricular and co-curricular offerings that are relevant to their life and to help them understand how what we're offering is going to tie to a better future for them, their families, and their communities. So I think it's affordability. I think it's strong personal relationships. I think it's high quality curricular and co-curricular offerings. I think it's offering high impact educational practices because we know from the literature, students that are engaged in their community are going to learn at a deeper level and they're going to persist at a higher rate. So I think it's the combination of all of those things that have led to literally um, three consecutive years of improved retention at St. Xavier. And that's on top of us having four consecutive years of the largest and most diverse entering class. So we've been like super fortunate that on the recruitment side, we've had lots of success and on the retention side, we've had lots of success. Well, and maybe you can expand on that a little bit. I know that you're an Hispanic serving institution, yeah. you know, a yellow ribbon military friendly institution. So, you know, diversity and accessibility uh, is, is critical. Absolutely. Um, and if you could just expand on that a little bit, and talk about how, how you're able to, to attract and find students um, of a diverse nation. Yeah. So uh, again, I think it's accessibility and affordability. We are consistently ranked a best value school because I, I think we really put a lot of effort into high quality, 
at a reasonable cost. And I think that that shows, it also shows in our social mobility rankings, right? Um, because our students are a lot of first-generation students, um, we're super proud that in the most recent social mobility rankings, like we do exceedingly well. Because you know what we, what we often say is we wanna help students build meaningful lives but we also want them to build successful careers. And I think that's very attractive to our student and family population today. So how do you make sure that students are career ready, especially when, you know, there are jobs today that are probably not going to exist in five years and vice versa jobs that aren't around right now that are going to pop up in five or 10 years. How do you make certain that students are ready for that environment? Yeah, well, we really buy into, um, you know, those sort of goals of liberal learning that AAC and you outline. So we believe the best education for a 21st century for the 21st century is broad exposure to the disciplines, right? For content knowledge. But we also understand that as we're exposing students to the broad disciplines, they have to develop transferable skills. So things like critical thinking skills and effective communication skills and problem solving. Um, as a Catholic mercy institution, it's super important to us that we cultivate a sense of personal and social responsibility in our students. Um, and like AACNU says, we also give them many opportunities to integrate with their learning. So whether that be integrating what they're learning in year one to year four, or taking what they're learning in the classroom and applying it out in the community or in an internship or a field study or clinical placement, like in a hospital or a school, all of those things we think really help to prepare students for life after St. Xavier. Um, and then those high impact practices. So for example, a high percentage of our students participate in things like service learning or student faculty collaborative research. Those are things that actually force students to link sort of theory to practice, which is what we know from all the CEO surveys is what they're looking for in the work setting, right? They want students who can take their knowledge and skills, but apply it in new settings and to new problems. So I think those are the sorts of ways that we do it. So um, you recently received an extension as president yes. of the institution. Yes. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Um, one of the items um, that was mentioned as far as one of the reasons why you were given the extension was moving from financial fragility to greater financial stability. Yes. And positioning St. Xavier to invest further in its accomplished community members and promising programs of distinction. Can you talk about you know, further investing in the accomplishment of community members and yeah. the programs of distinction? Can you expand on that? Yes, so first of all, one of the things um, that I guess I've spent the first term of my presidency doing is really trying to strengthen the finances of the institution because without margin, there is no mission, right? Yeah. So we've paid off half of our institutional debt from 40 million to 20 million. We have more than doubled cash on hand and we've tripled our, more than tripled our endowment, right? The reason that's so important, as you know, is we're facing all sorts of external forces like the demographic cliff that everybody's talking sure. about. 
So having that large endowment produce returns, those returns we've invested in faculty and staff compensation. So just since, I don't know, 2018, 2019, we've invested more than $4 million in compensation, whether that be one-time awards or merit awards added to base or just across the board increases, recognizing inflationary pressures, et cetera. So that's one way we've invested in our people, which is Mm -hmm. our most important resource. Um, But we've also launched, I don't know, more than a dozen different new academic programs. And just to give you an example of one, we launched Exercise Science a a few years ago. That's now one of the largest undergraduate majors, strongly connected to our athletic programs, um, which St. Xavier has a really strong winning tradition of athletics. And we just received approval from the Higher Learning Commission um, to offer a master's degree in the area of exercise science. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, I'll take you back to New Orleans and your time there. Um, I'd love for you to expand on your time there because I know you love New Orleans. I know you're, you know, that's a big part of your life. But what was learned either personally or professionally that you can carry over to the institution now? What, what was learned from Hurricane Katrina? Oh, wow. So first of all, I was born and raised in New Orleans, so it's home for me. Um, I was educated at uh, Loyola, New Orleans, a Jesuit mm-hmm. school, which was absolutely formative. And then I did my master's and PhD at Tulane in New, in New Orleans. Um, That's a big part of my heart. I was actually an associate dean when Hurricane Katrina hit. And I think more than anything, like crisis management and crisis communication is what I brought, skills in those two areas is what I brought away from Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, you often read that the issues that we're facing in higher education today, many people say, oh, they're the toughest issues we've ever faced. Honestly, I don't see it like that at all. Something like Hurricane Katrina is a real catastrophe, a real crisis. Like what we're facing are challenges, um, but nothing on the magnitude of what we faced during Hurricane Katrina. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize it wasn't just higher education, but literally the entire city of New Orleans was, you know, shut, shut down completely. Um, So it wasn't just our institutions. It was all of our neighborhood, our entire city. Um, So I think crisis management skills and leadership and just the critical importance of communication are probably the two most important things I take from that. And of course, perspective, right? Because now, like what we're dealing with now, not that it's not challenging, but, you know, it just helps you put things in perspective. So are you, are you a Saints fan? Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) And, And actually my oldest son recently graduated from Baylor University and he actually is working in New Orleans and just purchased his first home there. So I'm super excited because it gives me a reason to go back more frequently. Oh, absolutely. That's great. Oh my goodness. So when you took over the presidency and maybe this is tied to COVID, maybe not, but what was your biggest surprise? In the presidency? Yeah. Just in the presidency. Um, 
Well, it probably shouldn't have. This is my second presidency. So I would Mm -hmm. say I learned this in my first presidency, right? And it shouldn't have been a surprise because like I do all of those professional development things. So I've done them all, right? I've been to the Harvard Institute (laughs) and Bryn Mawr and Wellesley and all of those things. But just the degree to which there are no secrets in your life, like you are always, you know, like under a spotlight. And especially if you're a president in a small, a relatively small town, um, and the institution is like one of the largest employers, it's, it's just, you're much more in the spotlight than I would have, I guess, anticipated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest surprise. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. And now, you know, at, at St. Xavier, you have roughly 3,800 students. About 3,500. 3,500. Yep. 3,000 so, undergraduate and about 500 graduate. So how, how big do you want, how big can you get? How big do you want to get? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I think we don't have a ton more capacity in terms of our facilities here. But as you know, especially post-COVID, there's a lot more hybrid learning, a lot more online learning and those sorts of things. So I think there's plenty of potential, but not necessarily in the traditional way St. Xavier has offered education. Mm-hmm. So how have, you, how have you built relationships in the community and with, with businesses in the community? Yeah, so a couple of different ways. Um, Obviously, many of us are very actively involved. So, for example, I um, serve on the Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic School Board on a local high school board. Um, I'm part of the Chicago Network. And many of our faculty and staff have similar levels of involvement. So that just, I think of it as like tentacles in the community, right? Like we very much are not just in this community, but we are of the community, if that makes sense, right? And we really believe that it's important to take the resources of the university and link them to some of the most pressing needs in the community. So two ways um, that we do this consistently is we have a, a really strong nursing and health sciences program. So obviously our student nurses and faculty are out in all sorts of clinical placements in hospitals, in health centers, in schools, et cetera. Same thing, we have a very strong education program. And so all of our student teachers are out in school, um, you know, doing their field work, et cetera. We are creating more and more partnerships now. So I'm spending more time recently reaching out to other CEOs and trying to figure out how we can create some Um, some partnerships that are a win-win for both the university and the organization. So for example, I just met with a hospital CEO the other day. We would love to be their preferred education provider. Um, And we would also love for them to do some things in the health area that quite honestly are not core to our um, enterprise here. So we talked about a number of partnerships. They're even starting to think about doing some of their own training because they're having trouble hiring employees in certain areas. And Mm -hmm. so we had a great conversation how St. Xavier might be able to do the first few years of the education, and then they might be able to finish some of the technical aspects of the education over on site at the hospital. 
So I think increasingly we're going to see more and more of those sort of innovative ideas that serve both the university as well as some of the organizations in the community. Now, is it now you're you're in Chicago land? We are. We're in Mount Greenwood, but we okay. are considered Chicago still. Yes. Okay, and and I mean, is it is it is it tough because of the competition? You know, whether it's building relationships or 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 you know, getting students. I mean, it is. It, some would consider it to be a pretty saturated market in Chicago land alone. Right, right. So I know, but like this is a happening place, right? Because in the past five years, we've recruited four of the largest incoming classes in our entire 176 year history. Wow. So um, we're doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But Chicago well, land is very, I mean, it is very competitive to your point. And it's not just institutions in Chicago land, like it's all the surrounding states come to Chicago to recruit because it's such a diverse and large market, right? So right. it's one of the most heavily recruited markets in higher education. Well, and so how do you capitalize uh, on the success by engaging alumni? I mean, yeah. how do you do that? Sure. Well, I think we do all the traditional things that most schools do, right? Like we have alumni events for us. Athletics is huge. And we have such loyal alumni that are deeply committed to athletics. So, you know, I just attended a game last weekend and we were playing um, a school from South Florida, believe it or not, from Miami, the Miami area. Um, and when I drove up, I was so pleasantly surprised because we had all sorts of alums and students that were tailgating and barbecuing outside, you know, with the, you know, their cars backed in, music blaring. I mean, it was just a wonderful, fun event. And it wasn't even homecoming. You know, normally you see that sort of thing for homecoming. This was, you know, our second game of the season, first home game. So I think athletics is huge. I think we also have a really vibrant art program. And so we have some alums who are very committed to that. So we intentionally, um, you know, link our art, art students and art department into alumni events at, you know, cool venues in the local area that people want to go to anyway. Um, and then, of course, we ask them for money all the time through our annual fund, and they're very generous. So I would say those are the main ways. They come as speakers. Some of them are adjuncts, you know, and teach in our programs. Um, you know, they serve on our boards, our advisory boards or our board of trustees. So those are just a handful of ways we engage them. Yeah. The reason I ask is it's such, I mean, as far as a marketing tool, what better way than to have a student customer who was satisfied, got their degree, talk about the Absolutely. School. You know, the other thing that I think is a, a, a surprising to me is the number of families who are multi-generational mm. families here. And the reason I say it's a little surprising is because St. Xavier is not a residential community. So I've served at largely residential institutions and that's quite common, right? Like the legacy students who go through, but we're largely a commuter school, but still mm. have generations of family members who come through. So there's just a deep commitment I think to the mercy education, to faith-based education that really is committed to not just developing, you know, educating students for confidence, but also character and career success. I think like that's the winning combination 
our families really want that sort of holistic approach to their students' development. And is, is online program growth part of your strategy? You know, we don't do a ton of online. We have a couple of really strong programs, like our nursing program is completely online. But I would say it's much more prevalent, like we do a lot more hybrid than completely online. And I think part of that is just this historic commitment to, you know, cure a personalis or, you know, the care of the whole person and the idea that we really want to be in relationship with our students and our families. Mm-hmm. So what are the top two or three key initiatives or maybe the, the keep you up at night or wake you up early in the morning <laughs> things that you're that you're thinking about on a regular basis? Yeah. So, you know, we're we're just like super excited about um, a lot of the things that we're doing. But I would say our ongoing commitment are to four things. One is just to continue to make sure that mission is front and center. Right. That we never lose sight of our core values and that that gets reflected in our curriculum, our co-curricular activities, our decision-making, like everything that we do. So mission integration is always priority number one. Um, Priority number two right after that is being student-centered and deeply committed to student engagement, learning, and success. And for us, student success means completion, and what they go on to do after St. Xavier. The third thing, um, and, you know, you don't hear a lot of presidents talking about this, but I think it's super important for us to be as transparent as we can about our outcomes. So we are putting a lot of emphasis on becoming more Mm -hmm. performance-based, really tracking how we're doing in every area and really shining the spotlight on that so that students and families can be more informed consumers about what they're paying for, what they're getting, what we're promising, whether we're delivering on that promise, et cetera. And then fourth is to really make sure that St. Xavier is here for another 176 years through um, financial sustainability. So all of those financial metrics, we are consistently trying to strengthen um, just to make sure that we secure the mission for the, you know, indefinite future. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by the history of private faith-based schools and the longevity, yeah. you know, and so you had mentioned the cliff and there have yeah. been, ne- you know, se- several books and articles around the concern over institutions closing and not being sustainable. Absolutely. Um, but how has St. Xavier been, because I, I look at you know, you as, you know, an institution that is resilient. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about the history and your ability to be resilient, sustainable? Sure. So, you know, there's been multiple times through St. Xavier's history where um, things look really bleak, right? Like there's been all sorts of nat- national disasters, war, all sorts of things that, um, that we've lived through. And I think part of that is just this deep, commitment to the core mission and to make sure that we are serving those who might not otherwise have access to high quality education, right? So I think there's just like that core belief. But the other thing is I think innovation is really built into our DNA. So like the sisters over, you know, decades have changed depending on the needs of the community. And I think that agility is what really makes 
the difference, right? And it's not that change is easy in higher education, as I'm sure you know from talking to presidents. Like it's always a challenge. But the thing about St. Xavier is, regardless of the degree of challenge, it's always remained agile and really in touch with the needs of the population that it's serving. Um, So, you know, moving forward, we're about ready to relaunch strategic planning right now. And I mean, it's super exciting to think about the prospects. And, you know, we haven't really dealt with these ideas as a community yet. But, you know, as I think 10, 20 years out into the future, I can see all kinds of exciting opportunities. We're an aging population. It is true. And so that means there won't be as many 18 to 24 year olds. But, you know, every time there's a challenge like that, there's an opportunity. There's going to be a lot more older people. Right. So I can totally see like our residence halls being used um, to create opportunities for affordable housing for those who are at a different phase in their life, but really want access to a really safe and beautiful community with all of the amenities within walking distance distance, as well as lifelong learning opportunities, right? So that's, you know, just one example where um, we need to take that demographic cliff and turn it into an opportunity for our institution. Another one I could easily see 10 years down the line, I could easily see an elementary Catholic school operating right on our campus, right? So that would be another way going in the opposite direction um, toward the younger population. I also could easily see us because we have real strength in the health sciences and education. We know that there is a relatively large neurodiverse population out there that there's not enough effective options for. I could see us, you know, serving that population a lot more than we are today. Mm-hmm. So this is a general question, but when you, when you look at relationships, just in general, I mean, relationships with faculty and students and alumni and businesses. Can you talk about just how important it is to build longstanding relationships to make a successful institution? It's really, really critical. I mean, all of those different constituent groups are the heart and the soul of your institution, right? Now, with that said, um, what can sometimes happen is that one group could sometimes think that they should have like a primary voice in certain areas, right? Well, traditional shared governance says that's right. Faculty have the strongest voice in the area of the curriculum, for example, or in terms of hiring their colleagues in the department. Well, every once in a while, you get an overzealous alum who may have a different thought about what should be happening in the curriculum or who should be hired for a certain position, right? And trying to manage that and explain how effective shared governance works can be a challenge. But I think you use those opportunities to help deepen the relationship between really the full constellation of constituencies that make up any university um, to try to create a stronger relationship between that group and the institution. But make no mistake, there's like, you know, a million ideas among all of those different groups about who should get to decide what and that sort of thing. And you have to try to use that as an opportunity to educate and hopefully in the end, deepen the relationship and the effectiveness um, 
of the group working together. Mm -hmm. So there is a general perception about education, you know, especially today, you know, maybe not more than ever, but in a long time, we, you know, we're starting to hear more and more, well, hey, what's the value of an education? And can you talk a little bit, hey, you know, what is that value of getting that two-year, four-year graduate degree? What does that, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I I just want to like create a space to say that I think that's a totally legitimate question. And I think we as higher education institutions have to do a much better job being much more transparent about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what the outcomes are. Mm -hmm. So I often say on my own campus, the true measure of our success as an institution is like what our graduates go on to do, right? But yeah, we we have struggled getting information on a high percentage of those graduates, right? And so we have to do a better job documenting that and then being able to turn around and share that with students and families. Now, with all that said, that's where we have to take more responsibility. What we know from the latest research is that it college still pays, right? Like a college degree on average over one's life is still a good investment in terms of return on investment. I would argue there's a whole other piece of that. Remember I said we educate for meaningful lives and successful careers. I think a liberal education just helps you to have and create a more meaningful life, right? So to understand how to be an active participant in our democracy, for example, or how to Um, critically evaluate information that's out there. All of those are things that I think contribute to a more meaningful and more satisfying life. So I think um, in terms of value, we have to do a better job outlining our outcomes, but I think the data still support that at least financially, it's still a, a good investment. And I would argue also in terms of creating a happier life, college graduates tend to be healthier they tend to be happier. Um, so for all those reasons, I think it's still worthwhile. It's why all my kids are going to college, <laughs> right? I have these very conversations with them because they're saying, I don't understand how this math is going to help me or how this class in history is going to help me. So we have all these conversations on an ongoing basis. Yeah, I have similar uh, conversations with my younger kids. They're not old enough to go to college yet, but yeah. the math question, we do we do business leader podcasts as well. And we had yeah. an owner of a, a big um, construction firm. And right. I, I had to I had to replay part of the podcast because one of the things he said is he said, I'm using math every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, you know, again, it's incumbent upon us to help our students understand the relevance of what they're spending their time doing. And, you know, back when I was a faculty member, I don't remember having those conversations in like faculty meetings. Like not only do we have to make sure we're offering a good solid education, but we have to take the extra step and help students understand why what we're offering is important to their future preparation, whether that be graduate school or professional school or to go out and get a job in the 21st century. What do you think the best way uh, would be or is to be able to track students once they go out in the job market to be able to, to determine, okay, you know, they're working at ABC company. Absolutely. So we are 
we are instituting a senior exit survey. And the most important part of that senior exit survey is actually getting multiple contacts in their family. Because, you know, early in your career, you tend to move a good bit, right? So we have to get multiple contacts because what we need to be able to do is follow up a year from now, three years from now, five years from now. We also need to take advantage of social media platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all of those different ways and just get much more sophisticated in staying in touch with our students. It also has to involve the alumni relations office, right? It has to involve our faculty. Let's face it, our students are most connected to our faculty and staff, not necessarily our alumni office. So we need to like come together as a community and really try to keep those relationships going and keep that contact information accurate over a period of time because students' perceptions change over time. You know, I remember when I was at my Jesuit institution as a student, I really resented having to take nine hours of philosophy and nine hours of religious studies. But as I matured and got further into my career, looking back on it, I now realize that those were some of the most important classes and helping me figure out who I was and what kind of leader I'm going to be, et cetera. So uh, I think you have to do it over time. Excellent. Well, Dr. Joyner, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. fun. Of course, of course. And, um, you know, we will produce it. We'll send it out to you. And please let me know if you want me to work with your marketing team in getting this word out. I'm happy to do it. I mean, this the whole goal here is thought leadership for for you and our audience as well. Sounds great. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.